Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Welcome to episode 68 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-host, Mark Painter. And today we are going to be answering some questions that came in through the uh, urology, or actually it's just the uh, urology coding and reimbursement group and the urology uh, community, the, the paid community. So first, we've got, we've got several questions we want to get to today, but uh, the first one is from Joan. And uh, Jones uh, wrote in and said, I received a denial from local HMO insurance company for 52310-58, stating the benefit for this service is included in the payment slash allowance for another service slash procedure that has already been adjudicated. The patient on 811 had an obstructing ureteral stone and, and was stented pushing the stone back into the kidney and was billed uh, 52330 and 52332. On 819, the patient had Eswal, E-S-W-L, billed 50590. On 824, Uh, She contacted the insurance company, and this was their response. After reviewing all the claims, it appears that the claim for data service 82421 processed correctly as billed. In order for a claim to pay during the global period, it must be separate and identifiable from the global service and billed with the appropriate modifier showing it is separate and identifiable. The documentation submitted must also show it is not related to the global procedure performed. The provider's office should be utilizing the appropriate modifiers during a global period showing it is a distinct procedural service. The information is also on the CMS website. CMS also details which modifier to use for reporting removal of multiple stones. And then uh, Joan asks, any suggestions on how to proceed? Yeah, so <clears throat> interestingly, they have um, actually pulled some direction from different parts of uh, within the Medicare information that's out there, but they're conveniently ignoring um, the definitions of the global surgical package and why modifier 58 um, is uh, appropriate for this. So you build it appropriately. The 52310-58 is correct. Um, Now, we are going to make an assumption here that the documentation at the time of the S-Wall or prior to the S-Wall included um, a note that says that the stent would be removed in 7 to 10 days or maybe even just 7 days, whatever the physician put in place. Um, So in this case, it looks like maybe five days the patient would return to the office for removal of the stent, um, but it could be done at the first stenting um, at, at relative to 
the uh, service on 811. Um, but what they're ignoring is chapter 12 within the Medicare Carrier's Manual, which specifically says uh, what is not included in the Global Surgical Package. And if you want to reference it, it's chapter 12, 40.1.B, uh, services not included in the Global Service Package. There's a bullet in there that clearly describes this situation. Clearly distinct surgical procedures during the post-operative period, which are not reoperations or treatment for complications. The removal of stent is neither a reoperation nor a treatment of a, a complication. Um, this includes procedures done in two or more parts for which the decision to stage the procedure is made prospectively or at the time of the first procedure. Examples of this procedure are diagnosing epilepsy. There's some code examples which may be performed in succession within 90 days of each other. So the removal of the stent was planned prospectively. The removal of the stent is not done for a complication, um, and it was, in fact, pre-planned at the time you placed the stent, most likely on 8-11, um, but could also be uh, pro planned prospectively within the, the S-wall because the placement of the stent has a zero globe, of course, and it does not include the removal if using a cystoscope. Um, so uh, I would redirect the HMO, um, to look at the Medicare guidelines to understand was it what is in uh, the global surgery package. The other thing we could take a look at um, really quickly is the definition of modifier 58. Um, so if we look at modifier 58, um, the definition there uh, states that it is for a staged or related procedure. Um, uh, and uh, oh, excuse me, stage-related procedure or service by the same physician during the post-operative period. It may be necessary to indicate that the performance of a procedure or service during the post-operative period was A, planned or anticipated, staged, which is exactly what you're doing, B, more extensive than the original procedure, that doesn't qualify, or C, the therapy uh, for therapy following a surger, uh, surgical procedure, and that doesn't qualify here. So, this circumstance may be reported by adding modifier 58 to the staged procedure. Note for the treatment of the problem that requires a return to the operating room, which is unanticipated, which this was not, see modifier 78. So both the definition of modifier 58 and the Medicare global definition stating what is not included in a global support the way that you build. Um, and so you've got a couple of different things that you can provide to that insurance, uh, that HMO insurance company to uh, give them a little more education on the appropriate uh, payment uh, for services provided in urology. Should you, uh, what, what's the documentation? Should you put it on the, uh, on, in both, uh, both places, you know, both on the initial procedure and on the uh, stage procedure or how, how should you go about documenting that? So I think it's, you know, it's ultimately it's about what you submit. I mean, the the definition is it's planned prospectively. Um, we always recommend that you do place it in the global procedure um, and be, because 
typically that's the look back that would be provided that you know the payer would look back only as far as the procedure um, that has the global um, if however you did not include it in there but included it in a preoperative visit note or in a uh, note that was developed prior to that procedure that's still perspective um, so um, from that from the standpoint of of where it can be um, you can put it anywhere as long as it's before the surgery um, but as far as ease of use um, and ultimately ease of making sure that you have the information available to you with an appeal uh, we recommend that you put it uh, in either the summary of the procedure, the initial procedure, that this is planned prospectively, um, that's what we would recommend it, or at least uh, somewhere in the body of the operative note uh, for that main primary procedure that has the global. But the best place to put it is in the summary or the executive summary or the findings of that main procedure that has the global. Okay. All right. Let's move on to the next question. Uh, it's from Ethel. And Ethel uh, asks, or she said, please help me code this. Patient already had the procedure, and there is a pending authorization that won't be approved until I send them the code or codes. Thanks. Then um, what she's looking for is the revision of uh, IPP, including cystotomy, removal, and replacement of IPP reservoir and, and that uh, that is the uh, the penile prosthesis so right an implantable penile prosthesis and because she mentions the reservoir we are going to um, make the assumption that this is in fact a multiple component prosthesis um, so um, if you search through um, the CPT codebook, we have several different penile prosthesis codes, um, but the, uh, multi, the multiple component um, has a, a specific code for removal and replacement. We're going to assume um, that she is, um, that we're not working with an infected field. Um, so uh, in those, in, so for that, Five four four one zero. Yes, is what we came up with. Yeah, the five four four one zero, which is removal and replacement of all components of a multi-component inflatable prosthesis at the same operative session. So we're assuming that it, this was all done at the same time for a full uh, removal and replacement um, uh, for that. Um, if you just did a removal or you're only doing components, um, then you've got to look at some other codes, but they're all in that same section there. But it sounded like from her question that she was doing a removal and a replacement of all components. So the 54410 um, would be the correct code if, if that's in fact what they're doing. Okay. I think that one was pretty straightforward. Yeah. Now, now, again, if it was just a, a one component, um, then you would you would look at the um, five four four zero eight, 
for the repair of a component of a multi-component, which be which would be a removal and a replacement of a single component. So that would be the other way to go. Because she did say of IPP reservoir. So it's a little bit confusing, but it, so 54408 or 54410 would be what you would look at, Ethel. And uh, um, I, there's another, I guess, clarification or maybe it was an initial question um, by Ethel that she said the IPP reservoir eroded into the patient, patient's bladder. And the doctor removes the foreign body in the bladder and replaces one component of the IPP. Okay, so when we get to that side, then we are looking at the 54408. And we're going to have to check and see if, you know, that ultimately we need to know, Ethel, how that was removed. Um, I, I, would I, I, I would assume that that is open and they did a repair. Um, of the bladder but we need to know a little bit more of how that was actually removed um, now the removal across the board would be part of the 54408 for the repair of that component um, but the the bladder portion of that um, ultimately would probably fall into um, a systorophy type code um, but Again, not knowing exactly how that was addressed, it's hard to give you that answer. So hopefully um, you can give us a little bit more information on how that repair was done because it's not really a removal of a foreign body from the bladder uh, because the 54408 is that repair code. Um, so that would include that removal replacement piece. Um, so um, we need to know a little bit more uh if you could give us that information, we could give you a little bit better answer there. All right. And uh, also the IPP codes have uh, have uh, a separate designation for the infected field. So, yeah. Um, so it that would impact that too, but if, if it were infected. Correct. Yep. Good point. Okay. All right, uh, we got a question from Denise uh, for pediatric urology practice. What's the difference between CPT code CPT codes five four three hundred and five four three zero four? As the allowed diagnosis co diagnosis codes are the same for both, and the service is for Cordy and not hypospadias. Yeah, so. So Denise, on these codes, you know the and and I tell you that everybody has difficulty, um, unfortunately, uh, with uh, hypospadias repair and and you know there are a lot of different approaches and different things that they that they work through as you know being in a, a pediatric um, situation. So the five four three hundred, um, which is a um, plastic operation of the penis for straightening of cordee. Um, and it does have the example of hypospadias with or without mobilization of the urethra, um, uh, is, is really focused on, um, the repair of the, the structure of the penis for straightening. And if they, 
um, are working on the hypospadias uh, at the same time, uh, it, and it's not really the main focus or it doesn't become the, the primary uh, of that procedure, that is the appropriate code there. As opposed to the 04, which is a plastic operation on the penis for correction of cordy or for a first stage hypospadias repair with or without transplantation of prepuce and or skin flaps. So that is, is a description of a much more involved procedure um, with the penis. Yes, you are going to uh, do the correction of the cordy, um, or it could be for the first stage hypostadius repair. So you're doing a staged hypospadias. Um, but typically there is more uh, work done um, on the uh, external portion of the penis to uh, try and uh, bring it back to a much more normal looking penis um, as opposed to the uh, 54300, which is um, a little bit more, I would I would call it internal uh, for the structure of the penis um, as it moves forward. So um, those are kind of the two different things. Yes, they do accomplish uh, similar uh, issues or uh, similar goals, um, but um, I would look at it more as one being fo focused more on the structure, the internal side, um, although it does involve some, uh, involve some external in the 54300, but the 04 um, would typically involve a lot more involved uh, reconstruction to the external portion of the penis and looking at the kind of the separation of those two. Okay. All right. I think that was pretty clear. All right. Uh, another, we got a question from Amy. Amy says, I have a question about the QW modifier. We are billing 85014, which is on the CMS CLIA waived test list. Should we only bill the 85014 with the QW to Medicare, or does this apply to commercial insurances too? So there's no block from a commercial insurance company requiring the QW. And the CLIA testing and, and control is really done as kind of a separate portion from Medicare as it's run by the states. Um, so uh, the, 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 the real answer is you need to check with your payers. Um, but um, when we look at it from an overall standpoint, um, there is no reason that you should not bill the QW to all payers. Um, it is a CLIA wave test. Um, that application should be adopted by all payers, but we do have some small payers that do not um, process with the QW. So my recommendation would be to use it for all payers unless it results in some tangles um, for payment. So um, I would use it for all payers. All right. And uh, yes, and the QW modifier is the CLIA waived test modifier. Okay. Um, final question we wanted to cover is from uh, Joanna. And Joanna uh, asked, uh, said that we, uh, we recently started drawing blood to send for BRAC analysis testing for our prostate cancer patients. I'm thinking the CPT code to use is the 36415. But when I look at the CMS website, 
There is no fee and the status is X. Can we bill a nurse visit for this? And is there a diagnosis code besides the C61 prostate cancer that we should be using for the blood draw? It may be a lot of money, but we are buying the supplies and taking up a nurse's time to do this. Shouldn't we be reimbursed? Thank you, Joanna. Okay, so Joanna, um, a couple of different things. So number one, agree. Um, the overall um, process, if you will, of getting paid for everything that you do is important. Um, and um, ultimately, the um, trying to bill for everything that you do to make sure you're getting paid for everything that you do is is paramount in what we're what we're paid for in the billing side of the equation. But you also have to remember that um, it is not appropriate to code something just to get paid if there is a code describing the service. So the three six four one five is the appropriate code for a straight blood draw, and it would not be appropriate to report a nine nine two one one. Um, if, in fact, the only thing you're doing is that blood draw. Now, the good news is, though, that Medicare does pay, although a very small amount, um, $3 for the 36415. And the reason that you are not seeing RVUs and a status X um, in the Medicare fee schedule um, is that the 36415 is actually paid under the clinical lab fee schedule. Um, so the X means not that Medicare doesn't pay it, just that Medicare doesn't actually assign fees based on the uh, Medicare fee schedule, physician fee schedule. So it can be paid otherwise, and in this case it is. It's paid under the clinical lab fee schedule um, with a national limit of $3. So it's not a lot. Um, but it still should pay, and it is the appropriate code because um, it stands like that's all that's being done at that particular encounter is the nurse is drawing um, the blood. Now, um, you know, the, the 99211 is available to bill if the nurse um, does provide some evaluation and management services on that date. Um, so it's not that the 99211 cannot be billed. It's just that it sounds like for this circumstance, the 36415 is more appropriate. And what about the diagnosis code? So the diagnosis code um, probably should be C61 if, in fact, we know that the patient has prostate cancer, and that's the reason it is being done. All right. Okay. That uh, That wraps up our... Our podcast for today, I do want to remind you that October is Urology Coding Month, and uh, if you sign up for the Urology Coding course before uh, the end of October 1st, which is a Friday, it is right now at half price, so there we got some good deals on the Urology Coding course, and that course will not be open again until next year, so we do encourage you to get in there and and join us for the urology coding course and that there's a course for urologists and uh, APPs as well as one for coders, admins and billers. So please join us for that. Let's get uh, let's get this coding up to speed. Um, 
also, uh, we talked about on this podcast, uh, I think a couple episodes ago, we do have a quiz up uh, and you can access that if you go to the episode page, which is prsnetwork.com forward slash zero six eight. So you can go take the quiz. It's a 10 question quiz. Um, we can, it'll be instantly graded and give you the explanation for the answers if you got any wrong. And, uh, and also, uh, it'll send you, it'll send you an email with that report. So it'll give you the instant score and then, uh, send you an email with your, with the results. So, uh, we encourage you to please go take that and test your coding and let's get, uh, let's get our coding, make it even better in October. Uh, final thoughts to you, Mark. So, so the questions today were all good ones. Um, it's always uh, good to go back and revisit these, and we do try and answer those that get posted on the website, and uh, we try and visit those every every week. Um, we had a little bit of a of a, a of a delay on a couple of things, but we do try and get to those. So, keep your questions coming into the to the website. <clears throat> they um, they are questions that a lot of people have, and Everybody's asking nice, nuanced questions, and boy, we're seeing a lot of stuff from the payers that's not making a lot of sense. Um, so it's uh, it's good to to try and uh, marshal the forces, and hopefully, we've been able to provide you with some data that can help you turn those folks around. And um, you know, the other thing we can encourage them is to actually send their coding folks through the coding course so that they would understand how to to pay claims appropriately. <laughs> Yeah, you said that a lot, Mark. That uh, a lot of people on the other side of the, on the payment side of things, uh, when when you're looking at a lot of different claims and a lot of different uh, denials, that uh, it's apparent that a lot of them are may not be as well versed as they should be if they're denying claims. Yep, that's the polite way of saying it. <laughs> All right, very good. Well, we'll wrap this one up. Uh, Take us out, Mark. Well, in absence of Ray, happy coding. Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and their staff maximize income and efficiencies so there's time and energy for patient care and a happy life. Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music on Spotify under his record label, The Juicery. <laughs>